I'm convicted of the reality that God wants to do something today. So for those of you who are gathering with us today, um, we're posturing ourselves in the reading of the word. We're going to read the word and then we're going to spend some time in reflection of the word, praying to be encouraged by the word. And then once we've uh, um, spent some time in the reading and in the ranting, I want to devote some time today in prayer, uh, praying for you all. Um, I know we haven't really been afforded much time, but I just believe that uh, this is going to be a, a, a really enriching, refreshing time for us as we engage in the word. Um, we're going to read a familiar and yet unfamiliar text. Um, yes, yes, Balfour, there's already just this presence, even as I'm sitting here um, speaking to you. I just I just sense that the Lord uh, wants to move today. And I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that because God has a way of just surprising all of us. Um, that's what he does. He just he shocks us. He just surprises us. And and so I want to be surprised by God today. Um, I want to be surprised by the Lord in the reading of the word. The purpose of the read and rent is primarily to engage you and empower you to read the word for yourself. That's why we're here. And often what happens is I've mentioned this over and over again, that um, believers are sometimes intimidated because they believe that they can never get through uh, the scripture. But what I wanted to show you is that spending 20 to 30 minutes a day allows you to get through a, a, a lot of scripture. We're we're in week, week, week 12 now. We've gone 11 weeks through. We're in week 12 now. And we've gone we've gone from Matthew all the way to Revelation. By the end of this week, we would have read the entire New Testament together. Isn't that crazy that we've read the entire New Testament together? That is incredible. That's incredible, family, that we've been able to do that. And that's why we're here. Um, I take the advantage that in this time that you would get a peek into how I read the Bible um, there are many ways to read the scripture, many ways to engage in the scripture. You can read it from a Bible study perspective. You can read it from a devotional perspective, you know, where you read a verse and just, you know, meditate on that verse. Or you can read from a meditational perspective. And that's what we do at the Read and Rant. And I give you a peek into it that as I'm reading and as I'm going to read right now, that I am going to... um I am going to be praying three things and I want you to pray these three things as we engage in the reading of the word. Okay. I want you to pray into three things. The first thing is, is I want you to pray into what is God revealing concerning himself. And I want you to pray into what is God revealing concerning people. The third thing I want you to pray into is what is God revealing concerning me? And for you, when you're reading it, pray that God reveals uh, that God reveals to you certain things concerning you and that we would be encouraged and edified and empowered by this time. I come with no preparation, really. I come just to hear what the Lord is going to speak in that moment. So I pray that you bear with me because I just believe that um, this might be a little bit of an extended session because I want to spend some extra time to, uh, to pray with you and to move in the revelation that we're going to receive from the book of Revelation. <laughs> the revelation that we're going to receive from the book of Revelation. So with that being said, Let's engage. Um, we're going to be reading Revelation, which is a familiar and contemporaneously an unfamiliar book. It's a book that everybody reads about or hears about. They know where it is. Everybody knows it's at the end of the Bible. Um, and yet, even though they read it, it's confusing to many. Um, or some people just don't read it. They just hear about it. So let's dig in um, and see what the Lord is revealing concerning himself concerning people and concerning us today. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. As we read your word, Lord, let us be convicted by your word. As we read your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would 
empower us by the power of your spirit. But we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for um, the conviction that we will receive today. We thank you for the correction that we'll receive today. We thank you for shaping us and conforming us in you. Bless us in this time. And we ask, Lord, that you would do that. And we say that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's get right in. Let's get right into the word. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give them power. Sorry, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Hmm. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to Strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will wage war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on earth. The witnesses were resurrected. In verse 11, now after Three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great multitude and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. Hmm. Revelation 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and her hand a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Hmm. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. The dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Then I stood on the sand of the sea And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his temple, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose name, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. We'll get there. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience of the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon Let me read that one more time. Something caught me. (laughs) Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast 
whose deadly wounds was healed. He performs great signs so that even he makes fire come down from heaven and earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And that one may buy or sell except one, sorry, and that no one may buy or sell except one that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Hmm. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. 666. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed on the earth. Hmm. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. <laughs> then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe tongue and people saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him who made heaven and earth the seas and the springs of water and another angel followed saying Babylon has fallen sorry Babylon is fallen is fallen that great city because she made all the nations drink of the wine of wrath of her fornication then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever that they have no rest day or night who worships the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name here is the patience of the saints here are those who keep the commandments of god and the faith of jesus then i heard a voice from heaven saying to me write Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, their works follow them. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having his head a golden crown and his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice, him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar who had power over fire. 
And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Hmm. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. This will be the last verse that I read, the last chapter. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues for them and the wrath of God is complete. And I saw like a sea of glass mingled with fire, those who have had victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord? And glorify your name, for you alone are holy for all nations shall come and worship before you for your judgments have been manifested after these things i looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Father, speak to us. Speak to us as we engage. Bless this word. We're not given a lot of time here. So in the time that we are given, bless this word. We say that in your name, we pray. Amen. Um, So good to see you, fam. So good to see you. I want to preface by saying that there is this overwhelming presence that I that I feel even as I'm engaging right now. Um, There's a powerful uh, revelation that the Lord wants me to that he's encouraging me with that he wants me to share with you as well let me preface all of this by saying if you guys remember what I said the last two days as we've been reading through Revelation the revelation the book of Revelation is not a code for the end times Okay. That's the misreading of it. I know we've, you know, if you grew up in church, you've seen the the end times movies, the Armageddon movies, you know, the end times, the prophecy of the end times. And that's not what this book is about. The book prefaces and opens to tell us that the book of Revelation is called Revelation because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he opens by saying it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he opens by saying that it is a prophetic book. For him to say that it is a prophetic book is him to affirm and to assert that this book is written in prophetic language. 
And there's anything you need to know about prophetic language is that prophetic language is written in the Hebrew prophetic code. Because it's written in the in the Hebrew prophetic code. The Hebrews would have a clear understanding of what he meant. He's telling them what the cipher is. And he's saying to them that the cipher of this code is all the books of the prophets that were written in the Old Testament. Why is John writing in code? John is writing in code because the church is under duress. John is writing in code because the church is under oppression. And John is writing a code because he's warning them that they're about to face persecution. He calls that persecution the tribulation. So when people talk about the tribulation or they talk about persecution or they talk about all these things, they're talking, they talk as if it's something that's going to happen, not as if something that's already happened. And so what John is doing is, is he's giving them a prophetic perspective to what is happening in the moment for them to encourage them and to give them hope for what will come and what will transpire. John as any prophet does, looks at the current event in light of the future event. The prophet always looks at the present in light of the future. It is warning, but it's for encouragement as well. So what John is writing to is the present situation of what the children of Israel are facing in light of the future. Are you catching me? So as we read this book, it's not a code for us about how things are going to end. It's not a code for the end times. When you read about the mark of the beast, I'll talk about that for a minute. Or you read about um, all these symbols. They try to point these symbols to something that's going to happen. Not as something that has already happened. It was going to happen for them. But now it's already happened for us. So the end times prophets, when they read the Bible and they read Revelation, they focus so much on the end times as if the letter was written directly to them, not realizing, no, the, the letter was written to the churches in Asia Minor. So those seven churches that we talked about from the beginning to prepare them for what is to come that they would experience in their lifetime. This is all important because it is written to encourage them. But John knew as well that he had to write it in code because the church was under oppression. And he knew the Hebrews would know the code because they know the prophets. And what he's showing them is that revelation is a fulfillment of those prophecies. That all those things that were prophesied, I'm going to bring to light today what will happen in light of what's already happened. I'm going to take all those images and all those symbols and all those, what about the thousand years of distress? We'll get there. Um, I don't know if I'll, I don't want to go to full Bible study, but, but we'll, we'll, I don't know if we'll get there, but I'll, I'll see if maybe this will bring some clarity to you. So it's not what the preachers preach. I, you know, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, you'll, you'll hear, and this has been just a common issue in the church when they, when revelations is read wrong, we get so focused on what's going to happen in the end times that we do nothing in this time. We get so focused on, 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 well, look, the Bible's saying that, that, that God is coming soon. <laughs> so we read it. I love when people say that God is coming soon because I, I, I don't, I don't see has, has anybody read that yet? I, is it just me or have we not read that yet? We've read through the entire new Testament. It didn't say that God was coming soon. <laughs> it said his kingdom was coming. <laughs> and, and so, and so when we read, we, 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 we're said, we're told all these things. I'm waiting for God to come. God is coming soon to take us up and away from this earth and to pull us out of this earth. And so we have all these end times prophets who literally, who literally 
cultivate a culture of people who do nothing today, waiting to be taken up into heaven. You know, those songs like one glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. We, we wait. And so now the earth is not a good place. There's nothing good here. We're waiting to be taken out of the earth to be brought to heaven. And so that's been that that's the posture when we have the wrong theology in the wrong perspective, because now what it does is it creates a church that's lazy. It creates a church that's passive. It creates a church that's disconnected from what's happening in the present reality. And yet prophecy is always speaking into the present moment, into this cultural moment through the lens of God to speak about the eternal implications of what's happening in this present moment. The book of Revelation was not written directly to us. The book of Revelation was written to them. The book of Revelation, he, he, he tells you which churches he wrote it to, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea, right? That we read in Revelations two through three. So all those things help us understand that Paul is writing a letter in circulation. He told them that it was prophecy. And because it's prophecy, he's telling them the language that he's writing it in and gives them the ability now to decipher what he's actually writing about. <laughs> and so now when we understand it that way, we understand now that revelation is speaking into if so, sorry, if revelation is speaking into what the church then was going through and how they ought to navigate through what they're going in that season in their life, in that church, then it empowers us and gives us instruction about how to be the church and the children of God, the family of God today. That is what revelation is for that we can navigate through today in order um, in the way the church navigated through their today. They navigated through their today, which helps me now learn how to navigate through my today. Um, this is being recorded. It's going to be available in our private Facebook group. It's the font everywhere. The font everywhere. It's a private Facebook group and you can check it out there. Um, just send a request and, and we'll bring you in um, and you can invite people in as well. So now stay with me, family. When we understand that it's written in code, he's writing in code so that the oppressor cannot understand. But that those who understood prophetic language can understand. That's why he says, Notice what he keeps saying over and over in the letter. For those who have ears, let them hear. They understood what that meant. They understood that what John is speaking about is a mystery. And the word mystery is the word secret. That what John is writing to them is a secret letter. <laughs> it's a secret letter to help them understand or to, to help them get the information that would not allow the oppressor to know what they know. He's writing the gospel in prophetic code. I have to preface that because when we now know that he's writing the gospel from prophetic code, when we read every symbol an image, we can go back to the Old Testament and see what that symbol pointed to then and to see how it applies to there now. And knowing it how it applies to there now enables us to now know how to apply it to our now. I hope this is making sense. When you read it this way now, now it begins to make sense. Now it becomes more clear, right? Now you go, okay, now, now these symbols aren't so scary. 
Because when we read, right, you so so now let's just read what we have here. Okay. Let's just read what we have here. So, so um we see in chapter 12, right? We read chapter 11. He, he talks about the proclaiming of the kingdom. And then in chapter 12, he talks about the woman, the child, and the dragon. This woman, this child, and this dragon. It's all sounding weird. But when you point it back to the Old Testament, it's actually very clear. It's weird to us, but it wasn't weird to the Hebrews. Okay? And so, and so now we read uh, uh, Revelations 12. And when we read those first few verses, we realize now that this particular portion of scripture is pointing to Genesis chapter three. That the woman was clothed with the sun and the moon under, under her feet. This woman is, is God's family, is, the, is God's people. This woman, this woman is God's creation. And she bore, this woman bore a male child. Who is this male child? Remember the promise that was made in Genesis chapter three. I'm sorry, this sounds like a Bible study. But you're going to see where I'm going here. I know I, I know this isn't meant to be a Bible study, but I want to make sure you understand what the word of encouragement is here for you today, okay? That this woman um, who was bearing this child, he reminds us of the woman who her seed would bruise his head. And so the seed is the child. The child is the Messiah. They understood that. When she bore a male child, Eve bore a child. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Jesus was the seed that would bruise the devil's head. Eve was the seed that would bruise the serpent's head. The dragon. The dragon was the serpent. It's just that the serpent now has oh, evolved. The serpent has evolved into systems. The serpent has evolved into institutions. And so whenever you spoke of the dragon, they understood, they, the Hebrews, understood what dragons represented. Dragons represented spiritual authority. <laughs> and so now they knew that the dragon was the serpent. The dragon was Satan. And notice that now this dragon was thrown out of heaven. And that the dragon brought stars with it. The scriptures tell us, and, and the Hebrews understood that, that the stars represented the angels. I'm sorry, I'm giving you just a little bit of imagery here. The, the, the stars represented angels. And so the stars that came down with him were the angels that fell from heaven along with him. Remember, John is writing in code. He's using images because... The the, the, the the Roman Empire, the systems of that time would not understand what John is writing. This would just look like a guy who's just out of his mind writing a letter to people and it's incohesive. And yet he tells us that the serpent was the accused. Sorry, this dragon was the accuser of the brethren. And then he's and then he says, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old. And then he gives you right there. He says, call the devil and Satan. So he points to the fact that the dragon was the serpent who was Satan. And now this dragon was brought down to earth. Watch this now. Watch this now. Now the dragon saw that he had been cast from the earth and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Remember, God promised in Genesis chapter three to Eve that her seed would bruise his head, the serpent's head. Her seed would bruise the serpent's head. So this dragon, so this is actually a spiritual battle that's happening. There's a spiritual thing that's transpiring, which is going to influence what's happening in the world. 
Remember, they look at the world through, 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 the, through a spiritual lens. The Hebrews understood that anything that is happening in the world, the systems, the institutions, the governments, the orders, all these things that were happening were happening in light of what was happening in the spirit. So now he's informing them to give them light from what's happening in Genesis chapter three, that the promise was made that her seed, Eve, the mother of all humanity, that in her seed, the seed being her offspring, her offspring being Jesus Christ <laughs> would bruise his head. Great. And then the text tells us in verse 17 that the dragon, while thrown down to the earth, um, um, was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. The offspring who kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus was the church, the people of God who had the testimony. Good. So this is what's happening in the spirit. Then in Revelation chapter 13, he brings us now to show us how what was happening in the spirit manifests in the flesh. So now in Revelation 13, he, he gives us an image that they would understand because he points to what he calls the beast. See, the Hebrews understood images so well that whenever a prophetic word was written and a symbol was used, they would go back to where the symbol was first used in the Hebrew spiritual text. The first time the word beast is used, they understood that that was pointing back to the book of Daniel. And so going back to the book of Daniel now, you can understand who the beast is. When he describes the beast, he's pointing back to Daniel's prophecy. John isn't crazy. He's not having a trance. John is very clear in his mind and he's using prophetic code to help them understand what's actually happening in that moment. Okay, good. I'm sorry. Let's turn into a Bible study. Just stay with me. Okay. I know. Um, but I want, I'm just kind of excited for people to understand this. Okay. So now what's happening in the physical realm as a result of this cosmic spiritual battle in the spiritual realm, this is transpiring and now it's being, it, it, it's, it's, it's projecting now onto the physical realm and, and revelation 13 is telling us how what's ha what was happening spiritually is is projecting earthly he says that there were two beasts they knew go to john go to daniel because daniel talks about the beasts and they know that the two beasts represented power and institutions they knew what the beast was because daniel used the term beast to describe Babylon. <laughs> and so now, so now when he's, when he's talking about two beasts, they knew, wait, two beasts influenced by the serpent. These two beasts, these two beasts influenced sorry, by the dragon, who is the serpent influenced by the dragon. These two beasts represented two things. One was uh, military influence. The other one was economic influence. One was political influence and the other was monetary economic influence. And so he knew that these two beasts worked together in order to propagate the dragon's agenda, Satan's agenda. <laughs> and so the economic power helped fuel the political power, both of which are driven by the agenda of the serpent, of the beast. 
So now the mark of the beast, when you understand that now, don't let anybody tell you that the mark of the beast is when someone tattoos 666 on their body or 666 on their head. This is code family. This is prophetic code. This was not about a tattoo. The mark, what they understood the mark was, is they understood the mark as, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word? The, the, the Shema. So the mark, they understood that the mark represented the Shema. That was, that, that, that was the prayer or the activity of allegiance to who they declared as the one true God. So, and the Shema was on their forehead, written on their forehead and written on their hand. So as to exemplify, it's what I know and think and what I do. So it was a system. Yes, exactly, Teresa. It was a system of belief. So therefore now, what what he's saying is is they that carry the mark of the beast remember the beast is the economic power the beast is the political power both working in tandem to fulfill the agenda of the serpent <laughs> that now who you proclaim allegiance to is who you have your mark for So if the mark of the beast is on your head and on your hands, what you're living by is the agenda of the beast through your actions and through your thoughts. It was a way of life that said, I will compromise my faith. I will compromise who the one true God is for the idol of power and money. Oh, that's good. I need to write that down. I need to compromise the one true God for the false God of power and money. 666, look at the last verse. But those of you, yeah, you know, tattooing 666, people are looking for 666s and barcodes and all this stuff. Come on, y'all. This isn't, that's not what it says. Look, John is writing in code and he makes it clear. In verse 18, he says, here is wisdom. Let him who, who, has, under, who has understanding. Okay, I want you to understand this. When it says, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, he's literally saying, let him who knows the prophetic code tell you what the number of the beast is. So, so let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. The number of the beast is associated with the number of a man and his number is six, six, six. People get too deep on this. We get too deep on the six, six, sixes. Okay. We get way too deep on it. John knew. And the Hebrews would know what John meant. He was talking about a specific person. If there's anything you need to know about the Hebrew language is that the Hebrew language does not have numbers. Letters are numbers in the Hebrew language. Okay. Yes. I got my pink hat on me. Um, letters are numbers in the Hebrew language. So when you write a word, it represents a number as well. The numbers were associated with words. Words were associated with numbers, which is why in the Hebrew numbers were so important. That's why you see certain numbers occurring over and over again in the Hebrew Bible, because the numbers associate with words and words associate with numbers. So the number 666, if you write the word Nero, it would be translated in Hebrew as 666. So the number of the beast is his code 
for saying, for those who know the prophetic Hebrew language, you'll understand when I say that the number of the beast is the number of a man. And that man is 666. The number of the beast is the number of a man. And that man's name is Nero. So now that we understand this, 666 is actually something that was happening in their time. When John wrote this, Nero had just decreed, issued a decree that permitted people to kill anyone who professed faith in Jesus Christ. Nero was the Roman Empire. The beast was the Roman Empire. The beast was the Roman Empire. The beast was, so so in their time, he was writing about what they were going through. And then he says, remember, he's talking about Daniel. So now they all know this. Why is, why is John bringing this up? Why is John saying all of this? Because John is saying, even though we know this is happening, Revelations 14 now brings us to the message of hope that he's giving them. He's saying, and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel preached. He's saying now, when you fight Nero, you are not going to fight Nero with swords. You're fighting Nero with the message of the gospel. You're not going to fight Nero through economic conquest. You're going to fight Nero through sacrifice and the giving of yourself. You're not going to fight Nero through war. You're going to fight Nero by love. You're going to live as Jesus lived because when Jesus faced his enemy, Jesus didn't come with a sword. Jesus actually loved them and died for them. And what he was saying to them and the hope that he was giving them is he was speaking them to tell them, remember the church, remember the church, these people would, some of these people were just saved and they're saying they're trying to kill us Christians. So we're going to fight them. And what John is writing in this letter is he's writing code to say, this is not how you're going to fight Nero guys. You can't fight Nero this way. As a matter of fact, the way we win is by sacrifice. Because the way Jesus won was by sacrifice. He's saying that the way we win is by the giving of our lives for our enemies. You know, when they say, uh, when people read this scripture, um, I believe, I think it was in 15, is it? Uh, they that live by the sword die by the sword. We think that, and Christians misappropriate this because they use that as a way to justify capital murder. That's not what John is using this for. He's saying they that live by the sword die by the sword was a warning to them that don't fight with swords, fight with love. And he's saying to them that you will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. He's saying that your winning comes through the proclamation of the gospel. Wow. <sighs> and so in 14, when he says, having his father's name written on their forehead, the 144,000. Remember, we already told you what the 144,000 was. Remember, you could talk, you can go back to uh, yesterday's reading rant. Uh, the 144,000 is actually the innumerable amount of people who gave their lives to Jesus. Not the one, not 144,000 actual people. And he's saying that this army of God is coming. How are they going to come? He says, they're going to come with the gospel. They're going to come with the message of the gospel. They're going to come preaching Jesus. I'm going to get to my word of encouragement because I know I just took a long time to get here. 
And then he says, and then he says in verse in verse eight, and then I'll stop here. He said, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen. A great city. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of wrath of her fornication. Babylon is fallen. They understood that because they know that John is pointing back to Daniel. And when John points back to Daniel, he's pointing back to Daniel because the beast was Babylon then. And then in Daniel, he tells you the beast became Persia. Babylon submitted to the false god of power and money. And this false god was influenced and allured by Satan himself. I'm I'm closing it for you guys here. And what he's saying is, is he's saying that Babylon is fallen, meaning this government, Babylon, fell under the lie and the ruse of Satan, where the people then submitted to these false gods, money and power. They had the mark of the beast written on their head, what they thought and on their hand, what they did. Nero was written on their head and their hand. Money and power governed them. And in the end, they fell. Ah. And what John is revealing to the church who is facing oppression under Nero, what John is revealing to the church is he's saying to them, guys, we've seen this before. He's saying to them, we've seen this before. We've been here before. Did you forget Babylon fell? We've been here before. Persia came in under the same allure of the two beasts and they fell. Oh, we've seen this before because the Philistines did this to us and they fell. The Canaanites did this before and they fell. Babylon did this before and they fell. Persia did this before and they fell. Greece is did this to us and they fell. And now the Roman Empire is doing this and they will fall. He's revealing to them that this is a cycle. This is a cycle. And in, and in 15, this is what he shows us. He shows us there will be a time when the cycle will be broken. The cycle will continue, but the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but there will be a day when this cycle will be broken because the lamb that was slain will return through the sacrifice of the children of God who will do nothing other than preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that the word of the gospel will be preached. And when Jesus comes, he says, your kingdom come, the people will repent, not because of your guns, not because of your weapons, not because of your missiles, not because of your lobbying, not because of your money, not because of your title. They will come because of your sacrifice to the world that hated you. God's kingdom is strange. 
and yet his kingdom is coming. Ah, his kingdom is coming and is now here because his kingdom is within us. And he's saying that it's through the demonstration of love by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus that they will repent. And what he's asking the church to do and the people to do is not to submit under the lies of Babylon. Don't put 666 on your head. Don't put 666 on your hand. Don't fall under the lie that money and power give you. Oh, because it is a cycle that has continued from generation to generation to generation. What he's saying to you is, is this cycle is broken when Jesus comes in your heart. The cycle is broken when we experience the submission of Christ and we live under the submission of Christ that that cycle is broken, that we don't need to exercise judgment, that God will exercise his judgment, that his judgment was satisfied by Jesus Christ on the cross. The cycle family is broken. So what he was compelling them to do is to repent. Because if they don't repent, they're going to face the same judgment that the Babylonians faced. This bitter wine. They're going to face the same judgment that the Persians faced. They're going to face the same judgment that the Canaanites faced. They're going to face the same judgment that Babylon has faced. But he's saying, but in Christ, the cycle is broken. This is what this word does for us. What it does for us is it, it tells us that Babylon is a system that the dragon seeks to perpetuate over and over and over again. I'm becoming more and more aware that I live in Babylon today. I live in Babylon today. We, the church, live in Babylon today. So how do we fight as an army before this empire? You know, we, 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 would, we would call the United States Babylon. But the reality is, is that Babylon has become a beast. Babylon is the Roman Empire. Babylon is the European Union. Babylon is the United States. Babylon is. Oh, see, this is the part that people don't like. And even though we're taught to submit to the authorities, notice he said, you don't fight them. You love them. You don't fight them. You sacrifice your life for them. But the only way to do that is to experience the truth of the gospel today. My word of encouragement for you today is the cycle is broken by the sacrifice of the lamb. The cycle is broken by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The cycle is broken. We're not waiting for the end times. We are in the end times. We have been in the end times and yet the cycle is broken. Ah, this is a strange kingdom that we live in. I pray this was a blessing to you guys. Um, we're going to continue to finish. We're going to, we're going to go into 16 tomorrow and you're going to see the dimensions to which the cycle is broken. And you're going to see now what will be established. What does the coming of the kingdom of God look like? It's not us going to heaven away from the earth. It's actually going to be a marriage of heaven and earth. 
It's going to be a marriage of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. <laughs> so anybody that's waiting to die to go to heaven, those who understand what Jesus is doing and accomplishing on this earth is waiting to resurrect, to come back to this earth. Ah, but when we come back, it's going to be a new earth. When we come back, it's going to be a new reality. When we come back, we're going to have glorified bodies where there will not be any sickness, where there won't be any pain, where the powers of the enemy will be eradicated, where power and money won't drive the economy, where the economy will be driven by love and by grace and by sacrifice for one another. And together we will build a new kingdom, a new earth and establish a new flourishing reality. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we will see that it closes with this. We're probably going to finish this tomorrow. But I pray revelation. I pray that you see revelation differently now. <laughs> I pray you see revelation differently and revelation might become your favorite book of the Bible. Should the dead be cremated or buried? The dead will have new bodies. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this moment. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've encouraged us today. Lord, with this powerful reality, Lord, that nothing is new to you. Ah, that there's nothing new under the sun, that what we're seeing today, Lord, is the product of a cycle that we have seen over and over and over and over again. Lord, I'm, I'm reminded, Lord of the cycles in our lives that we go through. I'm reminded of the cycles that we traverse through. And Lord, it almost seems like we keep falling into these cycles. But Father, I declare today by the power of your spirit, Lord, by the sacrifice on the cross, that the cycle is broken. I pray that you would break cycles and generations right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would break cycles of poverty in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would break cycles of depression in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would break cycles of lack in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declare that you are the cycle breaker. Lord, that you're breaking every generational curse, that you're breaking everything, Lord, that we keep going back to. Father, we ask right now for each and every person who's hearing the sound of my voice, Lord, may the cycles be broken in their life. Father, I declare right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that the cycle has been broken in the name of Jesus. And we say that in your name, 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 in your name. we pray. Amen. <laughs>